for tuning in to Mystic Witch. I'm your host, Blue. You can find out more about me at bluejunetarot.com. Mystic Witch is a podcast about magic, divination, and all things supernatural. Hey, Mystic Witches. Today, our guest is Christy Rode Carrera, a Cuban-American artist, writer, and musician who published Green Zine from 1997 to 2004, published Next World Tarot in 2017, and since has released three illustrated novels which tackle mental health, sexuality, cultural identity, and punk. She's been contributing illustrations to music, social justice movements, and publishing for 20 years. Welcome, Christy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And how are you feeling today? I'm fine. Well, living my life, trying to deal with this bullshit. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, at least you're dealing with it. There are a lot of people who are not dealing with it. Yeah, it really sucks. It's really unfortunate how people are um, completely oblivious to the health and well-being of others. Everybody's selfish. Everybody's going on spring break. Everybody's going to the park. I. I Everybody, you know, it's like you're supposed to be walking six feet apart from each other, but there's still groups of white hipsters at Fort Greene Park having picnics. And, you know, in the beginning, I was like, I'm going to film these people and then I'm going to stink eye them and it's going to feel good. Yeah. Um, But then I got sick and I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. So it's kind of annoying to it's kind of a waste of energy to, to like focus on the people that aren't doing shit when you can be um, writing to senators, writing to the governor. Um, Muchacha Fanzine just did a, a petition on change.org to get Trump to have the um, Army Corps engineers um, build temporary hospitals. And I think that if you have the privilege to do stuff like that, you can. And if you um, don't, or if you're sick or if you're, you know, it's like, you just need to like respect the, 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 what, what is respect yourself, respect your people in your community and, and just take care of yourself and not feel bad for not being, you know, the, not using this time to create the best piece of art. Or, you know, if you're not using this time to start the revolution because you are sick and because you are, um, trying to take care of yourself because you are more at risk than other folks, then that's okay. And you can't feel bad about that. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, woe is me. I can't see my girlfriend. And it's like, suck my dick. I don't care if you can't see your girlfriend. I haven't had sex in five years. It's not that bad. And I'm just so tired. I feel like right now all these people are like realizing how hard it is to be alone. And that's like what annoys me about this. It's like, 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 nobody cares. Literally, nobody cares that you miss going on tour with your band. However, if your band was your income and you suddenly don't have any money, then that's a whole other story. And I think people are, like, confusing, like, loneliness and not being able to go to brunch with, like, literally not making money anymore, literally having a landlord that is making you pay rent. You know, all these things that are actually difficult versus... Um, missing your friend. Yeah. 
I agree with that 100%. The change.org link that you mentioned, I'm going to share it in the show notes. Do you think it'll be still running by next week, the petition? Um, I'm not sure, but I, I'm sure there'll be other petitions and other, there's a, I just, I've been posting them all on my Instagram stories because Facebook, it's, you know, they say there's a bug in Facebook, but I think it's, um, you know, the FCC and I think that the reason that, um, Facebook is banning a lot of news posts and a lot of legitimate articles about um, this pandemic is because Facebook is controlled by bullshit. And I don't know, like you, like we could, you could believe that it's, it's, you know, Facebook has a flu. Um, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, it's not a, a viable medium to share information right now. Um, and I noticed that my Facebook, my Instagram stories get shared very well. And um, I actually, I posted a lot on my doctor visit and um, why I got tested for COVID-19 and my breathing and gastrointestinal problems and sinus problems that um, have been really um, scary to me. And then the fact that I just left the country and, and the breathing shit is really what got doctors to pay attention to me. But I went um, at 7 a.m. before doors opened to the city MD, and I was the only one there. And I think that I received this very, like, intentional care, half because I was feeling like shit and having all of these, like, you know, these symptoms that were frightening, um, as well as the fact that I was the only one there. And it was an urgent care in Brooklyn. It wasn't a hospital um, so it was a very different vibe and I felt very like taken care of. So I really wanted to share all the information that of what I experienced with the doctors, what they told me, what they told me about, you know, for example, if you, if you get tested positive, um, for this, you are not immediately eligible for, you know, a bed in a hospital, uh, a ventilator, like you're not. And there's a lot of people under 40 who need ventilators, people in their twenties, like, you know, it's not like just older folks. It's like anyone with any compromised immune system, smokers in their twenties, like, you know, um, but yeah, I learned all this stuff from going to the doctor. So I, I posted it on Instagram, but I knew it wasn't going to get shared. So I, I posted it as images of the text, um, behind a drawing that involves nudity and, um, love and queerness and the stuff that when I post does get shared. The, like, it's like, you kind of have to like check your algorithm. Like what does Instagram want you to share? For me, it's art about feminism and gay sexuality, like, uh, and like resilience. Like it's not, it's funny because it's sometimes it's even a little pornographic, but it's a drawing. So it's okay. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to find a popular drawing that I haven't posted in over two years um, that got over a thousand likes two years ago when I had like way less followers and I'm going to post that drawing <clears throat> and with, you know, that's a little relevant. It's a drawing of me, like in my house with all my stuff on front of a gay Cuban flag. And, and then, so the body of the post is all about, um, Cuba and just feelings I was having two days ago. Um, you know, America's fear of socialism and being Cuban and having a, a kind of, nuanced perspective of both the Cuban government and the American government and the fact that I think most governments are, are not, there's never, there's no perfect government. Um, so I, I've been writing about that a lot. 
So I just kind of made this post a continuation of that conversation. And then I made a slideshow behind the drawing with my COVID-19 doctor experience. Um, and so it got a bunch of likes. It got like thousands of views and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I was like, oh, well, this is literally the only way to share stuff. And then I also learned that if you hashtag COVID-19, it doesn't get shared as well. Wow. Um, if you put so I put um, the the fundraiser on my story and I noticed that because I hashtag COVID-19, it wasn't getting shared as fast as another fundraiser that I put up for disabled folks. And that one got, you know, it got like 100 views in like 10 minutes. And then the other one and I put no hashtags and then the other one got like seven views in like 20 minutes. So I, I'm gathering all of this this knowledge of how sketchy the internet is and how it's so important to share this stuff. But we have to like, you know, we have to just navigate the internet the way that we navigate the government. And like, you know, and I also feel like another reason to, to kind of like really focus on mutual aid, community organizing, working, listening to activists, listening to democracy now, listening to, um, and if you're going to hear mainstream news sources, I'm all about like, Al Jazeera and sometimes the BBC. And, but I just think that we are not getting any truth from CNN, MSNBC, do what you can, but also acknowledge that, um, we can't like trust the government. The reason that people are going to spring break is because the government isn't telling them not to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, and I, and I don't think I, I don't like martial law and I don't like being in a police state. Um, but you know, it's like all of the sanctions that the law and police put on people, ICE putting on immigrants, um, the, the sanctions putting on homeless people, those things are still happening. Cops are still running around being racist. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like, all right, you know, you still have your job. You still have your power. Why do you use it for something worthwhile when the world is falling apart? That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> what an idea <laughs> what a concept i yeah. i just i think it's crazy like social distancing is social justice right now for on behalf of the people who can transmit very easily and and not survive this illness so i i just i can't believe there are still people who are not practicing social distancing and um, you know, I agree with you about ch- checking other news sources. Like a lot of people are getting all of their news from Facebook and that is not a reliable resource. I agree about CNN and our, our you know, our, our main conglomerates of, of news. It's not, a lot of it is not true. A lot of it is not accurate. And we do need to check and see what's going on elsewhere in the world. And we do need to be taking action and signing petitions for, you know, disaster relief and leniency of all like utilities and rent and all this other stuff, because a lot of people's income has been has been compromised because of this. Mine included. You know, I don't think anyone is unaffected financially. But, yeah, it's it's a it's a really important thing to talk about. And I didn't even think about cops out there taking advantage of the situation. That's terrifying. Yeah. And it's, it's just still happening. And 
I just feel like all we can do is educate each other and also just resist it all. And it's like, if you need support, don't call the cops, call your friend who has some kind of access to the knowledge that you need. Um, and like, I think that there's a lot of, I don't know, there's just a lot of support within, um, in this like medical industry and, you know, even the arts industry, like we're all suffering, we're all losing work. Um, I'm a freelance illustrator, so I feel very lucky to have two commissions right now that are like keeping me financially sane. Um, but yeah, I don't know. My other commissions were all for um, music festivals. So I don't know what's going on with those. And I really hope that, you know, I hope that we can just, if the music festivals are canceled, I hope that we can turn it into something else. And um, but yeah, at the end of the day, there's just not much we can do other than like take on these ideas that seem so, um, that, that might seem too anti authoritarian and anti, um, government to a lot of people, a lot of people um, want the government to help them. A lot of, you know, a lot of folks in Italy were, writing about um how the government was has always you know like supplied them with certain needs and you know I, i'm sure this person may have been coming from a place of privilege but at the same time italy has had universal health care for a very long time and um and then a lot of the things that these countries with universal health care are doing is just kind of you know there there's like all these people are getting care and all these people but then it got to the point where so many people got care that now people who are truly suffering and dying are not receiving care. They're not receiving adequate, um, you know, burial or hospice or, you know, all these things that like are just like really, um, really scary. And I don't know. I just think it's important um for us to re-educate ourselves or educate ourselves for the first time on stuff like mutual aid. And I just think of, um, being a teenager, being 18, 19 and, um, nine 11 happening. And, um, well, I was, I was 19 when nine 11 happened, but yeah, I was like really deep in anarchist organizing and community. And a lot of my friends who were more environmentalists, were um planning their their thorough in life of living out in the woods and and I was like well I'm a city girl so I'm going to move to New York City and live off my art and I won't pay my taxes so I I I still want to participate in the resistance but I want to be available for urban community and urban organizing and city organizing and you know, elevating the communities on the margins that have to live in cities that are here and they're not, they can't just go to the woods and be free. <laughs> and, and, you know, so as time passed, as I grew up, as I like educated myself on what mutual aid really means, it doesn't mean go out into the woods and ignore the people. And, you know, that's kind of a nihilist way of being an anarchist. It's like, well, obviously if you live out in the woods in your, in your um, sod house that you invented yourself, then you don't have to pay taxes. Let's say you're growing all your crops outside of your house and um, and then you're doing fine and you're immune to this because you're in the middle of the woods with no humans. Like, congratulations, super cute, but you are not 
revolutionary, right? What's revolutionary right now is elevating other people, not finding, you know, if you rallied all of New York City to go live out in the mountains and like, you know, it's just kind of like, or to go live out of the pollution and of the industrialization and, you know, and of the fact that like, the the like spread of this is airborne it's on plastic it can live on plastic for three days it can live in the air for three days it can live on steel for three days and if you ever have ridden the subway you know it's like 80 percent plastic and steel mm-hmm. the seats and the, the handlebars like you know it's like you just aren't safe in a big ass city and yeah. um so it's like all we can do is protect ourselves educate ourselves and each other and um, and really resist the things that the government is telling us is okay. Um, and just do the things that we have to do. Like if you have to go to work, you go and you protect yourself and you do what you need to do. And it sucks. And I think it's so real to complain about the internet on the internet, about your job, about your health, about, but yeah, complaining about the loneliness and, and like, when it has nothing to do with your health, I think a lot of people were already lonely, were already isolated, and now this is causing even more mental stress, therefore causing physical reactions to the mental stress. And yeah. and it sucks. And, like, I just think that, um, yeah, I just think that right now um, that's what is important as far as elevating issues and you know it's like i'm not trying to get people to get paid i am trying to get corporations to cancel jobs it's like let's not try to get money to pay our rent let's get our landlords to not ask for rent you know i I just think that like like i i want to work towards actual revolution not towards um like compromising with capitalism And I think that the more that we compromise with capitalism in order to pay our bills, to keep the normalcy that we knew before this, I don't think that that is going to help anyone. I don't think that we will ever go back to that normalcy, because if we do, then there will be another pandemic and there will be another everything, another, you know, everything, ICE, 9-11, all these terrible things. And like, it's like, there's just, there's just no turning back. And I don't believe there ever has been. I believe that we have we should always be moving forward and, you know, not voting for Joe Biden, who's just going to get us back to, you know, if he, if you think he's better than Trump, that's fine, but he is not, he is just a little George Bush. And I don't know. I just, I just have a lot of feelings about people being complacent to like the, co- the concept that the United States is the most powerful and safe nation in the, in the world. And, I just think a lot of people still believe that. And I, and I think that's why a lot of Americans aren't taking this seriously. And, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but half of my fa- chosen families in, in California, half is in New York. And, you know, they're, they're both big, weird, liberal states with huge cities. And, you know, most of my friends in these places are in large cities, LA and San Francisco, Oakland and, um, and Brooklyn, Manhattan, like these, these are where all my people are. And so it's like our conversations are so different than folks in Portland, folks in, um, in, you know, Nebraska and Texas, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just all very different wherever you live. So I just think that everybody needs to do the work that they need to do. And, and as somebody in New York city, I really just think it's my, um, responsibility, um, to, you know, as, as a, as a culture creator who is a public figure and is known, 
I just think it's my responsibility to elevate these conversations and reblog people's petitions and, and, um, you know, fundraisers for things that are very important. Um, like, you know, creating mutual funds for that are just there and available for disabled people, for poor people. And, um, and there's a lot of these going around. I, I would like, I'm trying to collect them. It sucks, but we all, it's like, we all just have to take on these roles, these more revolutionary roles rather than kind of nihilist roles of, well, everything sucks anyway. Might as well just go home and FaceTime your date. It's like, I don't really think there's room for that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Action and community that needs to be at the top of the list. And this is coming from two people who live in New York City. So if we're saying it, it, it must be, there must be some, some validity there. Quick, I do think it's okay for people to be nihilist and hateful when they are, you know, when they're truly suffering and sick and, you know, there's been a lot ha- like like uh, the whole concept of how a lot of um, medical professionals have to be isolated from their families. And I've heard of so many of these people who have partners and loved ones who are like, you know, going through chemo, for example, and how they can't be together right now. And that really sucks. So it's like those are the folks. It's like leave the nihilism for those, those folks. You know, if you feel really terrible and you want to just be like, fuck all this be kind of morbid about my outlook, then that's okay. I think it's okay for people to have morbid outlooks and not reach out and do the work when they are suffering themselves and the, then the work has to be done towards them. Um, but yeah, it's just hard because there's so many people on both ends. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to elevate all of these topics and talk about it because I think it's, these are really, really brilliant perspectives and some like a lot of this stuff I hadn't even thought of yet. I hadn't even gotten there yet. So I really appreciate that. Um, so (laughs) there's not really a great way to segue into talking about the next world tarot, but that was the whole reason why I asked you to come onto the show. Uh, it's just the timing. There's, there's other things to discuss, but I do want to, I do want to know about the next world tarot. Um, some of the production and process information. I want to know about the art and why it was so important for you to make this deck. Um, well, it is actually, I mean, it is relevant to the world now. I think that a lot of folks, as far as, you know, seeing people posting about pe- people posting their tarot spreads and people, people ordering the deck because they want answers. And I've gotten a lot of, you know, a lot of people have hit me up for readings and stuff. And so the story of the Next World Tarot was Michelle T., the author, um, had asked me in 2007 um, if I wanted to illustrate her tarot deck. And I was like, I don't know, I'm scared. And then a year later, I was like, all right, I'll do it. Um, I'm down. And we started working on it. And it started as like a queer punk version of um, Pamela Coleman Smith's tarot deck. Yeah. And um, and uh, a lot of the art, if you notice, the two of, of swords, the death card, um, I don't know. I'm just saying there's a couple cards in the deck that you everybody will notice that they truly um, represent Pamela Coleman Smith's art, but they're like a queer punk version of it. Um, you know, like the two of, of swords is a woman um, blindfolded 
crossing her chest with two swords, just like Pamela Coleman Smith, except my woman is sitting on a toilet and she has tattoos and she has, um, she's on the beach and she just looks very punk rock and, but, and she's really happy in the, not happy, but like content, smiling a little. Um, and so it's like, as much as the imagery was going to be similar I wanted the narrative to be a little bit more hopeful because it's like, you know, stuff like death and the tower, like endings and, and, you know, like breakups and, and catastrophes that lead you to better places in your life. Um, all those things are really awesome. And I just think a lot of tarot decks are like the tower doom. And it's, I don't really believe that at all. Every time I've gone the tower in a tarot card reading, it has led me to break up with people and let go of people that have been toxic for me. So I love the tower. I love it as much as the high priestess and the lovers. And that's why, you know, I made it the revolution card. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I really wanted to integrate the, just like the traditional meanings of the cards with these new ideas. However, when I was first starting to work on it, like the whole idea was kind of up in the air. We were looking for publishers. We were looking for agents to work with us and nobody was available. Everybody was like, this is too radical, too gay, too anarchist. And, um, and we were sad, but we were like, you know what? Let's just do a Kickstarter. Fuck it. And then, you know, it, we spent like a year kind of like developing more images. Um, but I think we both noticed that we were both coming from very different ancestral magic backgrounds. And my deck was was just becoming more about my ancestral magic. And it was becoming more about elevating the ancestral magic of the people that I was illustrating um, and the more, and so when I started the deck, like I said, like I was very, I was just an artist, very focused on revolution. I was not, I was into getting tarot card readings, but I was not into accessing my magic, my ancestral magic, my intuition. Even I was like, I just kind of took my intuition for granted. Um, and then at the same time, I like let my lack of intuition lead me to like the most, ridiculous situations and toxic relationships and but you know it's even in my chart it's like those things were meant to happen so yeah pretty much I was not intuitive I was I was intuitive about my work but I was not intuitive about my love life my health I would eat so much vegetarian chicken sandwiches and that's why I have um, gastroesophageal reflux disease because I spent like all my vegan years just eating seitan and potatoes and and just kind of not caring about my health ever, mental health and just smoking weed, doing a lot of drugs and being, being depressed and elevating that struggle and elevating the struggles of depressed people, of addicts, but not really knowing how to take care of it and only taking care of it through love. Like, oh, I have a new date who's amazing. Now I'm not anxious anymore. Everything's fine. I haven't done coke in a week. You know, that was kind of my life for a very, very long time. And um, and, I, and it was the kind of thing where I had so many mentors and support people who were in a different place in their life, like Michelle T herself, just who was writing about sobriety and you know, we were touring together and she was very supportive and very like 
you know, it's like, and I don't know, there's a group called the Icarus Project who also I've always gone to their literature and stuff for support. Um, But at the same time, these are radical anarchist, like uh, amazing people and groups who don't demonize you when you are a mess and when you are doing too many drugs. So that whole journey to like find your own cure can't really be dictated by another person. You kind of have to find your own and, and take out those people's support and inspiration to like help you find your own healing. Um, if it's not, you know, straight up just going to rehab or, you know, like for me, it was more about like quitting the stuff that wasn't working And I felt like I was capable of doing that without, you know, rehab, without doctors, without, you know, it was like, and then going to therapy, you know, stuff like that. And after going to therapy was when I was like realizing like, okay, I, I like, this is cool, but I'm a witch and I'm an artist and I'm a revolutionary. And my whole life, my goal has been to make art and to create and to share. And I've never given a crap about money. Like I'm like this weird thing that um needs to heal in a in a different way just like I've needed to succeed as an artist in a different way like I never succeeded when trying to work with agents and publishers and um and trying to like negotiate with them like I've only ever succeeded by doing whatever the hell I want and then working with the publishers and agents and blah 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 who want to like show up for what I already did like I've never done a project in collaboration with um, a higher up and unless if it's a commission and they hire me, I'll draw this, we pay you and you, know, but that's my job. Like that's not my big projects, like my memoirs and my tarot deck. And so the tarot deck kind of becoming, um, this personal thing was, it kind of like pushed me to like take my health seriously. And, and that between that and, um, getting broken up with and getting, having the most depressing, like isolating, difficult breakup and triggering breakup of my adult life. Um, Mm -hmm. That happened when I turned 30 and it was in 2000 um, or yeah, around 2012 when Michelle and I were working on the deck very slowly. Like I, I felt like I had just like five cards done and, I had gone on a radar, radar publishing, radar productions, um, retreat to, and it was like a queer author retreat, the radar lab. And I worked on some cards there. I worked on death there. And I worked on, um, I worked on, I worked on a couple that I didn't use that I got rid of actually, because I, I didn't like them in the end, but I didn't think, I didn't like how they were drawn. I thought they were a little rushed. Um, but just, you know, like the deck was just going through all these changes already. And then Michelle was going through her tarot focus and she, in this time period, it's like she had a kid, like she, it's just like our life changed so much. So we stopped working together and, um, yeah, like we just kind of, um, really needed to part ways on the project and, it wasn't, it was totally amicable and she still, you know, I, I was still calling her up for any like questions or thoughts. Cause she had just been, you know, working with tarot for about, you know, probably 10, 15 years longer than I was. 
Um, so it was good to have, you know, people that I can call on for support, but it did become my own project around 2014. Um, and that was when I was like, all right, so this is mine now. Like, what the hell am I going to (laughs) do? Um, like I'm actually have fallen in love with the project and it's become it's become such a huge part of me that I need to finish it. And I need to write it. And at first I was thinking of different authors to hit up to write it. Um, and then different tarot readers. And and my friend was like, oh, I thought you were going to write it. And I'm like, oh, all <laughs> right. Okay, I'll do that. And then I was like, well, yeah, I've written and illustrated everything. Um, you know, Indestructible was my first graphic novel after I finished my zine in um, around 99, 2000. And no, 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 actually, I finished the zine in 2004. And then 2005, Indestructible came out. And when Indestructible came out, I don't know, I just realized, like, um, these these things that I'm doing are, like, um, I don't know. I just, um, every memoir that I've published has been about um has been written and illustrated and has been about my life but then it's also been about taking my struggles and how can they exist in for the rest of the world and you know indestructible was about high school and drugs and um sexual violence and being a teenager and sexuality and skipping and being a being a bad kid and you know and then um bad habits was about everything I was going through while writing indestructible and finishing the green zine, um, which was, um, sexual violence in the activist and punk rock community and healing from that. And the way I healed from that was by leaving and moving to New York and hanging out with club kids and finding new community, new communities of color, new queer community, new art community, and kind of abandoning punk for a minute and um, abandoning activism for a minute because I just felt like a lot of the organizers were not listening to survivors. And I felt like survivors were just crying and then leaving alone while the group is like, um, are you done crying already? And I just felt like it was bullshit. And that was definitely the era where I was like, you know, I'm healing from this stuff. I want to go to New York City and do whatever the hell I want, whether it's self-destructive or revolutionary and important. And so then Bad Habits came out, which is about drugs and sex and um, all of the decisions that I made um, in order to heal from sexual violence. And um, and then after that book came out, I was like, I don't want anyone to know what I'm going through now. Like, I don't want to write about my shitty dates or, you know, my dramatic like scene and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's so stupid. It's just not worth it. I already wrote Bad Habits. I already wrote you know, indestructible. So then I started working on Spit and Passion, which also is a, is a memoir, but it was about being in the closet. And I wrote that around the time that the, um, the It Gets Better campaign started. And so this is around the time that Michelle and I were working on the deck quietly and slowly. And while working on like, Spit and Passion was what I finished and what I did, because it was my labor of love, like the deck was not my labor of love at the time. It felt more like a commission. And this is 2012. 
And um and yeah, Spam Passion came out, but I didn't even I didn't even live. I felt like I didn't live through it. Like I had a, a release event at um the Brooklyn Museum of Art, which is such an honor and so amazing. But all I could think about was the fact that my ex was there and how much I wanted to get back together with them. And he was going to a party after. So all I could think about was like, oh, my God, where's the party? I have to be there so we can talk. And um, but instead, you know, I should have stayed at the museum and networked with the fucking, you know, the the Sackler Center for Feminist Art. Like, you know, I didn't even meet these people. I didn't even stay and talk to these people. And it was very unfortunate. And I talk about this in interviews all the time because I don't think that artists talk about it enough. And then we see all these stories like Amy Winehouse and Robin Williams and Kurt Cobain and all these really famous people who helped so many people but died because they couldn't help themselves or the world couldn't help them. And it's really unfortunate. And I just felt like I was just going to be one of them. I was like, well, you know, whatever. We're just, we're all in this together. And the fact that, like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like we're all compared to each other, like tortured artists, tortured musicians, um, the whole, like people die at 27 and it's like, it's so dumb. It's like, yeah, 27, that's your Saturn return. That's, that was my Saturn. My Saturn return was wanting to die because my, my ex broke up with me and that was my Saturn return, spin passion coming out and not being present for it at all. And, you know, I was on the brink of so much self-destruction Um, but I just needed, you know, it's like the tarot deck kind of like pulled me out of that and it, and all my queer, which, um, POC community, my house at the time, it was just like this and my house now it's the same. It went through some changes and then went back to this, but, but just being like a queer woman of color coven, like kind of like home life, um, totally saved me and totally like had made me believe that all the work that I had been doing for the last 20 years was important and um finally acknowledging that it was important I realized like all right well I'm worth self-care I'm I'm worth um ancestral magic and and it's funny because (laughs) um it's funny because spit and passion is all about queer resilience and owning your queerness and staying in the closet because you don't want to lose your family. You don't want to lose your culture. Um, and it's about being a queer person of color and being Cuban American and growing up around tons of conservative, like Latinx vibes. Um, and then realizing like, Oh, you know, my family, it seems a little brainwashed sometimes. And now, you know, now my family's just this whole other world of, for a, for a very long time, my family's been very supportive. But yeah, when you're a teenager and you hear gay jokes and homophobic jokes everywhere on television, people laughing, people in your family, people in your school, um, you don't really feel, I didn't feel empowered at all to come out, but I wasn't going to like hate my family because I kind of believed that they were just victims of societal brainwashing and victims of, um, you know, they, they came from Cuba in 69. And when you, when you're an immigrant and you build a life for yourself and you're still struggling, you know, they weren't handed these 
um, you know, per diems to live in America. They were just like, they got jobs, they changed their whole life and, um, everybody worked and, um, and just kind of that experience of being an immigrant and complying with American values with Catholic values, um, for your own safety is something that pisses me off, but at the same time, um, makes me feel, um, bad because I'm like, it's not your fault. You're immigrants, exiles, you're, you know, you, you are victims of whoever takes you on and, and like allows you to believe that they're the only thing that will save you. And that's how I feel a lot of folks who come to America and find safety and love and community. It's like, it's really easy to like, not really, um, taught, like acknowledge the things about American socializing or, you know, colonist socializing that makes you homophobic and makes you sexist. So my, so spit and passion is all about like, well, how can we still love abuela, mama and la comida and like, like, you know, Miami and all these things while still combating um, homophobia and still um, naming homophobia. And, you know, as a 12 year old, I needed to just stay in the closet and figure that out. And luckily I discovered Green Day and East Bay Punk and Green Day's um, tour for Dookie. They brought along a band called Pansy Division. And um, there was just so much conversation on depression, self-hate, and queerness. And Green Day was the first band who I ever saw doing that. Like, there was a lot of bands, you know, I grew up seeing, like, Katie Lang and Boy George. And there was queer icons on television, but they weren't, they didn't seem that, tortured and hateful of themselves and they didn't seem like like weirdos they seemed very fashionable and green day are fashionable but you know it took a couple years for them to start wearing suits and eyeliner like when i first saw them they were like these mess children and i loved that and i needed that and i needed people who looked like that and people who looked like me um and when i discovered all these other bands in their scene like blats and pansy division and spit boy and then even Riot Girl, I discovered Riot Girl through this, like Bikini Kill and Sleater Kinney and all these bands who were um, really pushing the envelope as far as conversations on queerness and feminism. And when I discovered that, I was like, wow, I can just stay in the closet with my <laughs> records. And that's what Spin Passion is about. And I've been writing about healing and writing about resilience, but actually learning how to be resilient and, and, and heal was something I needed to do by not writing about myself anymore, not writing another memoir, not writing, you know, about what's going on at the moment, which was being sad about my ex and being sad about loneliness and like cultivating queer, um, POC women's, um, circles of people that, you know, people that I can talk to about my, struggles and then we can heal each other and we can support each other. And, um, I wasn't going to write about that. I was going to implement all that learning into the tarot deck. And then that's kind of how the tarot deck became what it is. It it like, it like informed my sadness and informed my community. And, and then everybody in the deck, you know, by this is, I guess, let's say this is now like 2014, 15. And I'm, um, yeah, just like, pushing it and working on it and I'm kind of done with 
like contemplating where it's going to go. Um, I enrolled in grad school at FIT, who's amazing. Their illustration program is amazing and it's affordable. And, um, it's, um, yeah, like I just, I needed to reconnect to art and I also needed a job. So I was like, all right, well, as long as I'm going to do this tarot deck project, I can't be freelancing. So I want to teach and I want to teach more and I want to just like do more academic stuff. And, but the program kind of, it did, it did, you know, I have an MFA now and I can send my resumes and try to teach. And I did get teaching opportunities like right out of graduating, which I'm super grateful for. Um, but the, but the, the, the thing itself kind of just the program itself really, you know, now that I look back, I'm like, Oh, it really just re made me reconnect with illustration in a way that I hadn't in years. Cause I had just become an illustrator and you know, when your job just becomes your job and then you do it, you do it because you do it. And then music became the passion and music is still music and art have always been my passions equally. And, but I just definitely during grad school, I was just way more focused on my band and I'm still very focused. Now I'm focused on both things equally for the first time in my entire life. But, you know, at the time I was just like, oh, I just want to play shows and write songs. And because that's where all my personal narratives were going. Like all my songs are about crushes and loneliness and um, being in love when, you know, during Donald Trump's election and like trying to like survive all that stuff. And um, yeah. And, and like when all that was happening, when Donald Trump first got, um, nominated and we, we saw what he was, what his plans were and all that, that was when the deck took a more, um, overtly politicized turn as opposed to it being about elevating the image images of queer bodies, um, different bodies, like, um, and it became also about elevating, um, struggles, people's struggles and elevating, the fact that we really need to overthrow whatever it is that has brought us here. Um, and it was really funny because at that same time, like all my favorite things were like doing things to inspire me. And the new green day album came out in 2016. And I, the second I heard it, I'm like, Oh my God, I have to go redraw um, (laughs) the judgment card. I have to go redraw the justice card because I just got so inspired to like, make these giant images of protests of, of, you know, of rallying against the system. And I just, yeah, it's like, I feel like this whole, the whole project has been this back and forth of like depression, inspiration, depression, inspiration. And yeah. And then it just kind of like ended up as this thing that, um, like a lot of the cards were drawn while certain movements were happening. Like revolution was drawn um, while they were trying to build the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, the judgment was drawn during the Millions March, and it's about Black Lives Matter and resilience of Black community. Um, in in you know in in lieu of the concept of judgment, which is honoring your ancestors, honoring the the law of of good and the right side of history versus the law of the law. And, um, yeah, like I, I, the deck just kind of took this turn when all of that was happening in 2016. And then I, I launched my Kickstarter and then I got 
um, I fulfilled it. I made a bunch of money and was able to press it and distribute it on my own for the first pressing. And that was super amazing. Um, but it was also hellish to deal with mail order by myself and, and my community, like a lot of friends came over to help. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I couldn't pay them all the time and I couldn't just keep it up that way to the point where it's like, the deck is like my self-sufficient project. It, it would have been all I do. Like part of me was like, wow, I can just live off this. And then it's like, no, what is the point of like, it's, it's like, it's like any grind. If I'm going to, if I was going to just keep self-publishing it, my days would have been so much negotiating with distributors and stores. Like it's the distributors and the stores that made it hard. Like, you know, sending 10 decks per day is, is fine. But yeah, like it was really, really just kind of impossible to take it on as my main thing, because then there'd be no time for music, no time for other art, for new projects. Um, and then when I hooked up with Silver Sprocket, who are publishing the deck now, they're old friends and they're a punk rock publisher. And they've definitely like grown a lot. They have distribution, they have um, tons of like markets that they work with and, and they have like just their whole operation is very, very professional. They're a professional publisher, but because the individuals working there are all, you know, community organizers and punk rockers and not making like, you know, making a living wage, but not, you know, all, all having like side gigs. And I'm very grateful that Silver Sprocket took the project on, um, because they they give a crap about um, owning owning the project for what it is and not changing it for for sales. Yeah. Um, and yeah, after in the last three years, people have been needing a more radical conversation on how to change themselves and how to change the world. And I feel very lucky that the deck has been that for a lot of folks. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about your deck and, you know, all the other views that you shared with us today. Really appreciate you taking the time for us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, and you can find the link to crowdcore.org in the show notes where you can find Christie's portfolio catalog, information on services, uh, lectures, workshops, illustration commission, um, and also information about Christie's band, Choked Up. Follow Christie at crowdcore. C-R-O-A-D-C-O-R-E. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. Stay mystic, witches! Be sure to subscribe to Mystic Witch on any of your favorite platforms. And you can show your support by contributing monthly at anchor.fm or on our Patreon page. Follow us on social media to hear exclusive audio clips from our guests at Mystic Witch Podcast. <laughs>